0: All right, we're, um, we're going to be going to the next section of the Freedom in Christ course. We started this a number of weeks ago. I think we're on week five now. Um, if you haven't got one of the course booklets we've given away, there's some down here on the front. Please come and grab someone. If you've missed any of them, you think, oh, I missed a section, they're all on the web. Just go and listen to them. Catch up. This is uh, the Freedom in Christ's discipleship course uh, that we're going through as a church, hopefully to help us grow in more in love with Jesus, become more aware of him, more in knowledge of him, and basically, yeah, grow as disciples on our journey with him. And we've reached, um, it's part four, but actually it's part five, because there was an introduction which was part zero. So we're on to section four, which is the world's view of truth. So if you've got a Bible, can you go to Ephesians chapter two, please? Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. Now... Because we got to this stage in the course, you will um, maybe please, maybe not please, know, but you know, we we were reading those lists over those first few weeks. You had some lists in the course that it was good to read out and proclaim every day truth from the Bible that you would proclaim over your life. They've ended, by the way. They were three, and they were the first three weeks, and we've done them. But that isn't something you should then just neglect. That's truth from God's Word that we kind of speak to ourselves to build ourselves up and make sure our our mind and our focus is on the right things. So I encourage you, if you've been reading through them, to carry on, do so. If you're sitting there looking at me feeling guilty, thinking, I never read them, I just never got around to it, I was a bit lazy, there's still time. Just do it. Spend some time. Look after the first three sessions. There'll be the list in the books. You can have a go at reading those and proclaiming truth, which will only help you in your walk with God, because it's just proclaiming what the Bible says about you and about what God has done for you. All right. The world's view of truth. Now, first question, what is the world? What is the world? We've got, um, we've looked at who we are in Christ. We've looked at kind of what God's done for us and how we should focus our mind on that. What we're going to look at over the next few sessions is kind of our enemies, if you will. Know your enemy. Okay, so we've looked at the truth. We've looked at what God's done, what God's said about us, what's happened in Christ when we become Christians. We're now going to look at things that are going to stop us or try and stop us living that out and believing that. And the Bible calls them the world, the flesh, and the devil. And today we're particularly going to look at that first one, the world. So let's read... Ephesians two verse two it says, well actually let's go back to verse one, and you were dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now what the Bible there? the world, in reference there what it 's talking to is the kind of the culture that you grew up in, the system that we find ourselves in now, the system of culture and the way the world runs at this moment. And that's what we're living in. And it, 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 Paul writes there in Ephesians, he says it's ruled over by uh, the, the rule of the kingdom of the air, which is just a, an oblique reference to the, the devil, Satan. Who We've got the world, which is this kind of um, place we live, this structure we live in, the culture we live in, the air we breathe, basically. But behind that is our enemy, the devil. But we're not going to be looking at him today. We're looking particularly at the world. And it's this system that basically has set itself up against... Um, the, um, the things of God. And the world has tactics to use against us as believers to try and deflect us from the truth and deflect us from our walk with God and separate us from Jesus in any way it possibly can. And it has three tactics we're going to look at today. So if you're going to know your enemy, you need to know what tactics they're going to use against you. Because if you know what tactics they're going to use against you, then you know how to actually live accordingly and kind of fight against it and prevent it. So the first tactic the world uses against you is promising to... To Meet our deepest need, promising to meet our deepest need, now, if we go back to one of our first sessions when we looked at uh, how God created us originally in the garden, you had Adam, he made Adam and then Eve in the garden, and we saw that Adam had perfect security, highest significance, one hundred percent worth before God. He was totally accepted and loved before God, and God kind of met his deepest needs, and that 's kind of what, how we were designed that 's what we were born into, but because of what's happened with sin, that's been broken, and the, the world now is, is flawed. And we looked at a bunch of false equations that the world tries to kind of put at on us to, to, to help us live. But ultimately they are, they are flawed and they damage us. And the world says that if you have performance and accomplishment, you will be significant. That's how you're going to be significant. If you perform well and you do stuff People will think you're significant and worthwhile. So if you get status and recognition, that will bring you security. That means the world kind of, you'll be secure in in, in where you are. And the last one, appearance and admiration will bring you acceptance. But these are actually all lies. They're all lies. They're false. We've looked at that and it's the the way the world tries to kind of treat us. And the reality is we all fell for that. We all try to live that way we'll try to gain our significant security and acceptance by doing things, by doing stuff, achieving. When ultimately, they should be found in God. And not the world does. The world says you need these things and it tries to offer you these things to do it. And what happens is we fall for it, we believe it, and then we find out actually they don't actually fill our deepest needs. But then the world says, well, actually, if you do this and this, you'll still feel secure and accepted and significant. And we fall for this lie after lie after lie. And it's how we try to live our life, trying to get better. But John says, um, in John's gospel, he comes against that. He says, 1 John 2, it says, um, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And what um, John is highlighting there, he highlights three things from the world. What, how do they try and entice us? How does the world try and keep us from God? It's three things. It says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is the tactics the enemy used, the world used to try and draw us away from the things of God. And they're appealing on the surface in themselves. First of all, you have the lust of the flesh. We're going to look at the flesh later in its own right as an enemy. But in terms of the lust of the flesh, the, God, um, the world appeals... To us, to our body, to the way we live, to entice us into things, to giving us stuff that we want. It becomes the, the default way of behaving. We want things. We want things to satisfy ourselves, to satisfy ourselves. Just look at um, the image of food. The idea of food is everywhere. We've got every kind of possible restaurant and and shop and supermarket selling every kind of food you could possibly imagine all there. And all they're trying to do is saying, eat more, eat more, eat more. We have a kind of epidemic in the West, particularly of people eating too much and having the side effects on our health because of it. But it's all just the lust of the flesh working where we're trying to just get things for ourselves. The next one, the lust of the eyes. The world shows me things that I, I like the look of, and I want them, I want them, that it will hopefully satisfy some need in me. The most kind of obvious example of this is pornography, a purely visual thing that is absolutely rampant in this world. One recent poll found that half of men, Christian men, are addicted to pornography and 20% of women. This is something that is in our world, and all it is doing is just appealing to our desire to see things that we like the look of. And the reality is it becomes an addiction. You think at first, well, you know, this won't harm me, just looking. They say it's okay to window shop, you know, that's all right. But then before you know it, it goes on and on and on, and you're cooked in the snare, and the lust of the eyes is completely taking over. Even if you're not actually looking at the hard stuff, it's actually everywhere, visually. They use sex And for guys, scantily clad women, to sell everything. I once saw a bread advert. No joke, a bread advert. And it was for bread, whatever the bread was, hovis or mighty white. And the young lady holding it was dressed very provocatively. And I was thinking, I want to buy that bread because she looks really nice. And I suddenly thought, wait a minute. This is ridiculous. It's bread. It's not even anything kind of really worthwhile. But the, the way they were selling it was appealing to the lust of my eyes. It said, Jesus said... In Matthew 6, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The world is constantly trying to give us attractive, pretty things that we look at that will entice us away from the things of God. And the last one, the pride of life. The temptation to boast in our accomplishments, what we've achieved, our possessions, the toys and trinkets that we have, the house that we live in, the car that we drive, the job that we have you know, all these kind of things that were used, the world used to boost our self esteem, particularly in this. Area where we live, very middle class, very upper middle class. It's all about looking the part, having the part, doing the stuff, dressing well. All these kind of things appeal to us, and we want them. And we're kind of like, this is what the world is doing to us. And through this, we think we'll get security. It's meeting our deepest needs. And one of the, one of the biggest ways, as I was thinking about this, that the world does this, is through the whole area of advertising, It's everywhere. I don't know if you've realized this. I I did some research on this um, and I found out some stats which I thought were just interesting. Apparently, we're exposed to about 5,000 different ads per day. Per day. 5,000 different adverts. In the UK, how much do you think they spend on advertising per year? Go on. 10 billion more. Keep going. How much? A trillion, trillion, no. I don't even know how big that is, Paul. That's a big number, right? (laughs) £20 billion a year is spent on advertising. And, interesting, in the UK, UK ahead of a lot of people, half of that is spent on digital advertising. Digital advertising. And actually, UK lead the world in that, in terms of percentage, how much is spent on digital advertising UK is in. So you think about... Your phone, you get free apps on your phone. They're free, but what do they all have in them? Adverts, that's how they generate their income, so they can do them free. They're everywhere uh, on the internet. Have you ever come across smart? I found this the other day, as I was thinking about it. It's really creepy. I was looking on a website at some trainers, um, running trainers, I'm interested in that kind of thing, I like running. And I was looking, and I thought, oh, they're nice, maybe Christmas coming, who knows. Um, and I went on to something else, and guess what? An ad appeared for those trainers, on another website. I thought, that is creepy. How do I stop that? Because they were everywhere. These ads, they follow you around. You can get things on your computer now that are, that are ad blockers, that are specifically starting to block ads. I'm sure the ad agencies are paying money to see how do we overcome ad blockers so we can get ads to people. Um, I was watching the, ki- um, the, the TV with my children the other day, which is a painful experience most of the time, but I love my children, so I do it with them. And we usually watch CBeebies. CBeebies is from the BBC, so guess what? It has no adverts. I love CBBS. Most of it's good. So there's some junk on there, but most of it's good. But then we were watching the other side, because Peppa Pig isn't on CBeebies, so you have to watch the other side for Peppa Pig. Um, and we were watching, whatever it was, Milkshake or something, um, and we watched Peppa Pig. And then, of course, then Peppa Pig ended, and the ads came on. Oh my goodness, they are relentless. There is ad after ad, and some of the stuff they advertise is just junk. Let's be honest. Some of it's like that's a cool toy. Some of it's just like that is rubbish. That is right. But my kids don't know that. They're like, Daddy, want that? And I'm like, What are we doing about this? Daddy, want that? We've got a great thing with Asher. He's three. Um, he's because he, he's a bit gullible. But we, we found this thing. If you say to him, put that on your birthday list, he immediately stops asking. So he's got a birthday list with about a thousand items on it at the moment. But he'll forget them his birthday. It's like six months time. But he's like, Daddy, I want that. Put it on your birthday list. Like, okay. He never writes it down, doesn't remember, I think he's expecting me to remember it. But the ads were there, and they are relentless, and they were going after the kids, and the kids were just falling for a hook, line, and sinker. Uh, adverts, they're a lot of money. The most expensive adverts in the world, apparently, are uh, during the Super Bowl. If you like American football, which I do, huge fan of American football, the Super Bowl once a year, which is the grand final of the game, uh, is an American, it's kind of been around the world live, has a massive TV audience of million or something, people watch it. To buy one 30-second advert during the Super Bowl break costs can cost as much as $4 million. $4 million for one advert. For one advert for 30 seconds. I'm such a big fan of American football that I'm always checking the website after the game and after the Super Bowl. Do you know what they do on the NFL website? They not only put the score of the game and all the highlights and the stats and the stories and he's the hero and they won and they lost. and blah, blah, blah. They have a dedicated section on the website just for the adverts that were played during the Super Bowl. They're almost as big as the Super Bowl. I met some American people and say, Oh, do you love American football? And they said, No, I hate American football. And I'm like, Oh. said, But we always watch Super Bowl. Why? Because we want to watch the ads. I'm like, During the game, we go and make drinks and we have a cup of tea. When the ads come on, we all come back in the room and watch them. Because they put so much time, energy, and money in making these ads, they're actually worthwhile telly. And I'm just like, there is something wrong with our planet. Why don't you like American Idol? anyway? But that's that's what it is. So here's my challenge to you today: when you just watch the um, TV this week and you're come across adverts, try critiquing them. What are they trying to What are they trying to, to suck, you, suck you into? Don't just consume them. Actually, have a look at them and think. Actually, are they going to try? Are they trying to appeal to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh? My pride of life. What are they pushing on? Let's become discerning viewers of what we take in. All right. Second tactic: painting a com- uh, sorry, painting a complete but false picture of reality. It paints a, po- a false picture of reality. The world does this. Um, you can play certain games where that are like into a virtual world. Has Anyone heard of The Sims? Which is a computer game. The Sims is one of the best-selling computer games of all time. 175 million copies. 175 million copies have been sold. It's had four versions over, you know, like like 20 add-on packs that it has, and it's sold 175 million copies. And basically, what it is, it's a hysterical game because basically, what you do is you basically build an avatar, a person, and then you just create a life for them. And you can do what you want. So you can have friends, virtual friends, and you can go to virtual work. Why you would want to go to virtual work when you go to actual? But that's what they do. And you can have friends around, you can have virtual parties, and you can meet up with people, and you can have virtual chats, and you can even virtually date and get married and have kids. Sim- Who would want that Sims kids? So you actually, not only are you doing it in real life, you actually got to do it on the computer, changing diapers and dealing with... But this is, this is huge. People want that. And the problem is people kind of paint a picture of reality... That itchy isn't true. One of the other most popular games in the world is one called World of Warcraft, which is a massive multiplayer online role-playing game which is in a fantasy world that's kind of crazy and got elves and goblins and dwarves and all sorts of stuff. But that has over 100 million, 100 million active accounts. That's more than the UK. That's everyone in the UK playing and a bunch of friends from outside the UK. And basically... What the world does, it sets up this virtual world that we kind of look at and it paints this picture of the world that isn't actually true. It actually doesn't line up with what the Bible says. It's distorted and it shows you this picture. It says, this is, this is what the world's like. This is how the world works and we sucker it and we kind of just fall for it and say, actually, this is, this is, how, this is how we should live because this is how the world works. But actually, it isn't how the world works. It's not reality. It's a distorted image like when you go to the fun fair and you look in those funny mirrors that you suddenly get very tall and thin. You think, oh, I like this one. And then you get the next one. You suddenly come very short and very, very wide. And that's what the world is doing to you. And the way it does this is it does it through um, a world view. And it basically, that your world view is basically your, your way of looking at the world, which is dictated on where you were born, when you were born, kind of and how you were brought up. And it's sort of the, the culture that you're in. And depending on where you lived uh, growing up and how old you are, what part of the world and what kind of group you are with can affect your worldview massively. My parents are kind of part of the baby boom era, often called baby boomers post-war births and everything that's coming out there, very idealistic, uh, kind of wealth, prosperity, um, post-war. That's very much what they are, they're into. They're defining some of the defining moments of their generation, birth of rock and roll. They know where they were when JFK was assassinated, when someone landed on the moon, because they've become big defining things. Me, however, as their son, I'm a Generation Xer, a Gen Xer, apparently they call me, because of where I was. Um, we grew up questioning our leaders, actually kind of rejecting some of the the morals of our parents and the way they did life, some of the defining era, things of our era. We, weren't, we didn't know where we were when JFK was shot, but we know where we were when we heard about the death of Kurt Cobain. <laughs> that was a big thing for my generation. I remember I was in college when it happened. And if you want to have any idea of kind of how things have changed, just kind of, you go and look at some old science textbooks, see how, f- how, how kind of culture has changed and things have changed. Just get out some some old photos of yourself 10 20 years ago <laughs> i bet you look very silly because you look at the fashion. thing it's just changed world view and so we have these world views which kind of and they form like a filter from from the, which we interpret everything that comes through us and we don't even realize we're doing it most of the time it's just it's just the way we are and we just that's how we engage with everything going on, and that's normal. And a kind of a way to understand it, let's look at a few of them. Some of them, most of them, these you probably won't do, but some of them you might connect with, but hopefully it'll give you an idea. Because one of the ways that people, are, um, and one of the most prevalent ones in the world that wouldn't be for most of us, but it's still huge, is a non-Western worldview, which is sometimes called animism. Uh, and it's not common in the West, but it is common around the world wider. And that is kind of a belief, a worldview in a sort of a universal power that runs through everything, kind of good and evil, um, all over, um, running everything. And it's kind of very highly spiritual. And there are good and kind of evil spirits that are controlling stuff. And if things are going wrong, you often think of a spiritual kind of um, problem. It'll be a spiritual issue behind it that you've got to deal with. And if you want to make things happen for your advantage, you need to go and get an expert kind of a witch doctor, shaman character who would then manipulate these spiritual powers for your good and that's how you do it. Now in the West, that might sound very odd. If we had a problem in our house, we'd probably call an electrician or a plumber or someone like that to sort out the problem, but in a non-Western worldview, they might turn to someone else against it and they would try and manipulate it. and that would be the sort of the worldview that many people have that were, they would filter reality through. Something goes wrong. Something spiritual behind that. We need to go and get uh, the village elder or witch doctor, someone to, to sort that out. For us, we wouldn't do that with um, with something a bit more logical. Which comes on to the next one, the Western or modern modern world view. We we if you've got got this view, everything seems to be very logical. That's the kind of um, the 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 the, the, make, the big reason behind it, and it kind of divides life into natural, supernatural, and then basically disregards the supernatural. Anything kind of supernatural uh, is, not, is ignored. That, that can't happen, which is, puts it in total contrast with kind of the non-Western worldview, where they're very much into the spiritual. And it's saying, actually, this spiritual world is kind of irrelevant to daily life. It's not important. We're not even going to talk about it. We're not going to deal with it. And reality for us is everything that we can touch and measure and, and work out very scientific, very logical kind of in its, in its approach. So, those two kind of against each other. But the Western view has been in decline in the West recently, and what we get is the postmodern worldview, which post just means aftermodern. So, we've had the modern Western worldview, and then we get the postmodern worldview, which is what basically many of us live in now, and many of us like me have grown up in. And this is kind of my default worldview that I interpret the world through um, without Jesus. And what this is, the post one is rejects some of the things from the modern view, and actually says actually some of the certainties they had we don't want to go with. We're much more into kind of experience and working things through ourselves. We look at truth and we, the whole idea of truth and what is true, we, sort of, we question and we reject. And actually, it, we actually come to this conclusion there's no such thing as objective truth. There's no such thing as objective truth. There's no such, it's almost like you have your version of truth and I have my version of truth and they may be totally incompatible, but that's okay because that's yours and this is mine and we can learn to kind of coexist within that. And so what you have as a result is different versions of truth. Truth itself is kind of watered down into, well, I don't know. And that means that everybody's lifestyles and perceptions and kind of way of approach the world is equally valid as long as you don't hurt each other. So how you live your life and how I live my life might be completely different, but as long as we don't hurt each other, I mean, it's all okay and it's all valid and we can kind of get on. And anybody in this way of view who is holding kind of a strong, a strong kind of Sort of line on anything, saying this is right, this is wrong, is actually looked at with suspicion and contempt, and almost like you're not very enlightened in your thinking. If you think, you know, I want to hold this objective truth, they'll say to you, well, that's not very wise, that's not very good. You're kind of, you know, you're you're almost treated with suspicion, along those lines. And what else we find the postmodern worldview is that um, what people believe and who they are suddenly become incredibly linked. They almost become sort of fuse together who they are and what they believe. So if you get to a point where actually I disagree with what you believe, what you're effectively saying is I I disagree with you. You disparage my beliefs, you disparage me. It suddenly becomes extremely personal. This is what I believe, therefore this is who I am. Which, for, if you think about the church, this gets us into all sorts of hot water. If we say things are right and things are wrong, you're suddenly attacking people under a postmodern worldview rather than actually saying what you think is wrong. That needs to change. But actually, they're, they're like, you're attacking me personally in it, which is not what you're doing. But actually, and you know, the, the, the church is being pressured in this country and things like saying all, e- all religions are equally valid. And actually, because everyone's got their own truth. Over there, you've got yours. Over there, you've got yours. And we've got ours here. And actually, if you stand up and say, "Uh, no, that's not true, you're looked at with suspicion and fundamental. And the postmodern worldview is very comfortable with that that apparent tension and conflict. Actually, you can have that, you can believe that, they're totally opposed to each other, but we're all happy together. But the reality is, there's a biblical worldview. There's a biblical worldview on how we can deal with it. And so you might ask yourself the question, well... Is there a spiritual power in the universe that's running through everything and controlling everything? Just for the record, that's going to become very prevalent in the West in about the next four weeks when the new Star Wars film comes out for a brief period. But is, is that the right one? Is there a force out there? Is there the force coming controlling everything? Or is it one of these worldviews where actually only science can answer all our questions? Only science has the answer. Or is it a case of, hey, whatever you believe goes, it doesn't matter as long as you don't kind of disparage me. Which one of those is right? The answer... None of them. None of them. And that can sound really intolerant to postmodern thinking. Let me have an example for you. There's only one way to drive your car. How many of you drove here this morning or were driven? Quite a few of you. There's only one way to drive your car. The accelerator makes you go, right? You push the brake, you don't go. It's as simple as that. There's only one way to do it. Your computer or your smartphone... There's only one way to work it. You can't push keys and expect a different result. It's programmed in one way. Just this week we had my eldest son's parents evening and Melanie went to school uh, to see the teacher and they said lots of nice things about Levi. And one of the things they said was he's quite good at math. Math is something he enjoys and he seems to be good at his numeracy. Can you imagine my son going up to the teacher having filled in his sums and said two add two equals Five. Five. Go up to the teacher and say, teacher, sorry, that's wrong. Uh, sorry. That may be true for you. But for me, two add two equals five. And I just, if you disparage that, you disparage me. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Two add two equals four. Let's be honest. And actually, we, we, when we get into this, it's like, actually, there's only one way. Truth does exist. Truth does exist. Objective truth does exist. I always love the people who say, there's no such thing as ob- objective truth. You say, are you absolutely sure of that? Yes. <laughs> objective truth. Anyway. The Bible says very clearly, God is truth. God is truth. And faith and logic aren't incompatible. They're not, it's not like science and the spiritual side of things can fight each other. They can exist together. And one of the most important questions that we face today, in fact, one of the most important questions man has faced forever since leaving the garden is, what happens when you die? What happens when you die? If you ask Hindus, they would say something along the lines of, well... You get reincarnated in another form. That's prevalent view in Hinduism. Christianity would say, well, actually, you die, and then you face judgment before the seat of Christ. If you are an atheist, they would say, well, you, when you die, that's it. It just ends. You, that's the end of it. That's your life. You might ask someone the postmodern, they would say, well, <laughs> you can believe whatever you want. Make it up as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And you kind of go, well, well, they can't all be true at the same time. They can't all be true. Whatever happens after death is going to happen, and they can't all be true. There can only be one. And the logic says that, you know, that whatever's going to happen after death has already been decided, and so actually you have to just kind of believe that. And if, if the Hindus are right, then we will be reincarnated. And if the Christians are right, we'll stand before Jesus in judgment. If the atheists are right, well, that's the end of it. But they can't all be true. So it's clear that one thing has to be right one thing has to be right and God claims to be that truth God claims in his word I will be that truth Jesus himself God who came to us, said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me so if we have that big question what happens when you die there's only one answer there is only one answer and for us it's in the bible It's in the Bible, and one of the reasons I believe in the Bible, there are many, but one of them is because for hundreds of years, thousands of years, you've taken the Bible, dropped it in different cultures, in different parts of the world, with different ethnicities and different languages and different setups, and it's had an effect in every single one of them. In our 21st century postmodern thinking, the Bible speaks to us and has something to say. You go back 500 years, other side of the world, drop the Bible, and it still had something to say and affect people. The Bible actually transcends culture. That's its power, because it was made by God who even created it. And so that is what it is. So if you, you, know, you don't believe me, I give that example. Go and look at fashion 20 years ago. Everything changes. The Bible doesn't change. It's black and white. And it's been found by millions of people over hundreds of years to actually be the truth. And so we are to believe the objective truth, and the Bible is the one that does that. Third tactic, and then we'll wrap up. The third tactic is mix and match, that the world uses. It uses a mix and match, which is very kind of postmodern in what it is. And basically, the idea behind this is that you can take Christianity, and you can just slap it on with whatever kind of beliefs you've had thus far. So you've you grown up with this culture, um, that the, you, you were born in, you were raised in and suddenly you think you hear the good news of Jesus the truth, the gospel you might become a Christian and you say well I just take those truths and add it to what I've got to what I've got I just, I just, I just wrap it around the edge and you get like those sticks of rock you find at the, um, at the beach now if you've got a quality stick of rock I was born and raised near Brighton just say so you know, in Brighton we had quality sticks of rock down there and if you had an image at the front of the rock, when it was wrapped up, it went all the way through. So when you bit it or you broke it, or your mum chopped it up just to give you a bit, you could still read Brighton Rocks in the middle of the stick, and that was excellent. But if you, got, if you went somewhere else in other parts of the country, and their rock wasn't quite as quality as the Brighton Rock, and you had an image on the front that said something, and you broke it open, you suddenly found halfway through, there was no, there was no image. It's like, whoa, whoa, down in Brighton we get this, but here we don't. And so, oh no. And what we can be like as Christians is like that. We can say, well actually, you slap, a, slap, it on, slap, the, slap Jesus on the outside, but on the inside, we still have this kind of sort of, world belief that we've grown up in, that we've, that we've kind of imbibed. And actually, it hasn't changed. There's been no actual fundamental through and through change. And how can we mix and match as believers? We might say, yeah, we're going to follow Jesus, but we actually say, do you know what? I read my Bible and that whole stuff about the miraculous... It just doesn't make sense. And when Jesus, you know, he kind of fed the 5,000 and he walked on water and that Lazarus dude came back to life, I just, pff, I'm not going to have that. Jesus is a good teacher. That, that's fairly acceptable around the world. That's not going to offend anyone. Jesus is a good teacher. He had some nice things to say. You know, he floated around in a nightie with nicely L'Oreal hair and we'll go with that. And you find yourself being like the American President Thomas Jefferson. Have you heard of the Jefferson Bible? Apparently, Thomas Jefferson took a razor to the Bible, cut out all the bits in the Bible that were miraculous in the stories in the Gospels, and anything from Jesus that claimed him to be divine, and basically pasted, kept all the bits that he liked. And he had that, this is my Bible, the Jefferson Bible. I'll take take the word of God, but I'll cut out the bits I don't like, and I'll keep the rest. And that's my Jesus. That's what I'm going to live on. That's how I'm going to mix and match. We can deny parts of Jesus' story. Virgin birth? Virgin? Seriously, that means Mary never had sex. And she was pregnant? That's just ridiculous. Ignore that. The resurrection, Jesus was dead. Roman soldiers killed him and they knew what they were doing. And then he rose from the dead bodily. He came out of the tomb. He appeared to his followers, 500 at one point ridiculous we'll ignore that we'll just keep to his teachings the whole stuff that Jesus went when Jesus went on about sin and judgment and repentance and you will stand before the father and you're going to have to you're going to have to make an account and I'm the only way we'll we'll just move that bit out because that's like and you know people that's going to upset people if we say that we do that we lose we lose the power of our faith we lose the uniqueness of Christ what about actually choosing the bible as the authority that it is Some people take the Bible and say, well, the Bible says this, but I read this good book over here, or this other holy text over here, and I just kind of put them together and I'll just pull what I want out of them. No, the Bible is the authority. The Bible is above you. You don't judge it. It judges you. And if you take that away, where does our faith go? But the difficulty is as Christians, we can mix and match. We can say, well, I'll take that because I like that. God loves me. Yes. Results. Sing about that. But when we think about God hates sin, He hates sin in your life and He wants to destroy, He wants it out of your life. The reason He died on the cross was because of your sin. He bore the wrath of the Father, it says. We think, oof, not having that, that's far too close to the knuckle. I won't believe that. But then we just find ourselves in this mix of max Christianity and we need to actually focus down and say, actually no, we're going to take it all. We're not going to be, we're not going to have just slap Christianity over who we are. We're going to let it Infect our entire belief system, and we're going to build our view of reality on the Bible. So, why are you a Christian? Can you put that slide up for me, Phil? And there's a bunch of statements underneath. I haven't written them down, so there you are. So, why are you a Christian here today? This would be an interesting test. If you're a believer here, follower of Jesus, I believe because Christianity seems to work. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God for all people, everywhere, at all times. What I've experienced lead me to feel that Christianity is true. And the last one, I've simply made a decision that Christianity is true for me. Only one of those answers is valid. Which one? Sorry? Number two. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God for all people everywhere at all times. That's exactly what Jesus said. And if you're influenced by postmodern, we could actually take some of the other ones. Actually, I do Christianity because it seems to work. It seems to work for my friends. They seem happier and healthier and they've got money and that's working. I think I'll do the same. But actually, no, it's the only way to God. A Christian writer Os Guinness said this. The Christian faith is not true because it works. It works because it's true. He goes on. It is not simply true for us. It is true for everyone any who seek in order to find because truth is truth even if nobody believes it and falsehood is false even if no one believes it. That is why the truth does not yield to opinion, fashion, numbers, office or sincerity. It is simply true and that's the end of it. Let's finish this up. Beware of mix and match. We need to ditch our old way of thinking and put our beliefs in Christ. James 1.8 says, if you... If you don't, if you try and follow two things, it says you are a double-minded man. You are unstable. And how do you do this? How are we going to be people who kind of follow truth, who follow truth and and are aware of what the world is trying to do to us and, and build in a line that would actually, let's build our reality in what the Bible says. Well, the only way to do it is actually by getting to know your Bible, reading your Bible, understanding your Bible, getting it in you on a daily basis, we teach you here every Sunday, that's great. Catch up with the sermons, listen to it. You might listen to other sermons, that's fine. But ultimately, you have to take it for yourself. In one sense, it's almost like a medicine, that you take it every day, and it reminds you what's truth and what's lie. It reminds you what's reality and what is false. It reminds you what the world is trying to do to you on a regular basis. i currently reading through the book of James. I read a little bit this morning. I just read a few verses in James um, that I wrote down in my journal, and I just I thought about it and wrote a few things down, and it talked to me about patience. It talked to me, it says James was writing to this church, and he was saying, actually be patient, patient in coming and waiting for the Lord. Do not give in um, to kind of just wrath, and just trying to work everything out for yourself. And I remember reading it thinking, okay, I feel convicted. I'm not a patient man. There's times, Sometimes I'm very impatient. I'm patient with my children. I'm impatient with the microwave because it's not quick enough. You know, 30 seconds, it's like, I've got things to do. You know, my broadband speed is like gigabillions or whatever it is. And do you know what? That web page is not loading fast enough for me. I'm clicking, come on. You know, but I, re- I read the words down and say, actually, be patient. God is sovereign. God is overall. I was reminded where it says in Galatians, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. It says, and so I remember praying and saying, God, give me patience, give me grace. I know that you're, you're over all things. I might think I want everything to work to my schedule, but ultimately I know I've got a loving father who's working everything to his schedule. And it was just my little bit of medicine for the day. And tomorrow I'm going to get through the day. I've been bombarded by the world all day. And I get up tomorrow and think, okay, have got to go back get my medicine. <laughs> Read something else and I'll finish reading James and then I don't know what I'll do afterwards. So we need a bit of that every day. Because it's going to show us that our deepest need is met in christ not through the things of this world jesus is going to meet our deepest needs he's going to deal with our deepest problems sin and it's in his own life our need for purpose and focus and security will come only through him our hope for the future will only come through him reading our bible every day will give us a correct picture of reality actually what we see we'll be able to see stuff and we'll be able to critique him we'll be able to weigh and say no that is a false message that i will not accept i will accept because i know the truth And it will help us avoid this mix and match where I kind of take this truth and this truth and try and live it out in this kind of funny mishmash of ways that isn't what it is in Christ. All right, can we stand up please? I'm going to pray to finish. Can the band come and get ready and we're going to worship Jesus. Let me find my prayer. Here we go. Those lists that I've, we've been reading over the last few weeks, they serve this purpose. They serve this purpose to remind us who God is, remind us who we are before God, remind us that He is the one who can meet our deepest needs. He's the one who gives us security and acceptance and significance. He gives us the correct picture of reality. Reading those things, if you haven't done that, go back to them. Get in those things. Read them. Let me just pray a prayer to finish, and then we're going we're to sing, carry on worshipping, see what God wants to do. But if you like this and you want this yourself, just say amen at the end. And I'm going to read this out. Lord Jesus, no matter what the world throws at me, I am making a decision today to believe only what you say is true in your word, the Bible. I choose not to be double-minded any longer, but to trust you, Lord, by getting off the fence I confess and renounce my previous worldview and make a new commitment today to base my life on the truth in your word. I trust that your word will prove true and that you will be faithful to me. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.